This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Morning, everybody. So, as he just said, my name is Ron, and uh, for those of you who are brand new, um, I'm going to give you some context for what I'm going to teach. I'm the founding pastor of this church, and the portion of the Bible we're going to go look at is like a four-page letter from the founding pastor of that church to the church that he founded. So it has a ton of his heart and soul in it. And today we're going to look at a portion of it where he, Paul just kind of peels back the layers of his life and he goes all the way down to the very core issue of life. And he's going to let us see how he struggled with that. And so uh, I think what Joel just prayed, that as we can learn from Paul's struggles, it enables us to live in ways that we haven't been able to so far. Now, one of the things that we know about God is God actually and completely cares about all people everywhere. Are you on board with that? Yeah, you are. And as we come to follow Jesus, he begins to expand our circle of care to the point that we actually care about all people. And if you're like me, and I'm pretty sure you are, when you turn on your TV recently and you see what's going on half a world away, does that break your heart? It breaks my heart. I want us just to pray. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters, our fellow human beings, a half a world away, who are fleeing for their lives. And they're putting up with unspeakable tragedy and suffering and injustice and cruelty. God, we pray for the Christians. We pray for the pastors. We pray for the church leaders. We pray for the governmental leaders. We pray for the refugees. And yes, God, we would be even so bold as to pray for the rulers of Russia who are wreaking this havoc on so many innocent people. God, would you hear their cries? Would you hear ours? And we're asking that somehow you would bring this to an end very soon. And God, we look forward to a day when you create a new heavens and a new earth where that kind of stuff never happens. Between now and then, thank you for walking with us. Would you please walk with our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine? We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 I know some of you have been with our church for a while. And if you were here about 10 years ago, there was a couple who went to Sonoma State University. They dated. They came to New Life uh, while they were going to college. And shortly after college, they received a call from God to go to the Ukraine, where they have lived and worked with InterVarsity for the last 10 years or so. 
That's James and Tatiana uh, Alderson. I'm happy to tell you they are safe. That's good, huh? I was never so glad to get an email in my life as to get an email after reaching out to them. Hey, where are you? Are you safe? And they had escaped to Romania and they're working on, on uh, helping the students they've been working with escape. But they're all refugees. Um, anyway, having said that, the title of this series is Overflow. And I just want to say, Spike and the band could not have picked more appropriate songs for this subject matter. I hope you listened to the lyrics because they were dialed directly in to what we're going to talk about today. You see, the title of the series is called Overflow, and the idea is that you and I could live in the fullness of life. Jesus said it like this one day. He said, listen, he said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. One of Jesus' closest followers, a guy that we call Paul, who actually wrote what we're going to be uh, looking at here in a few minutes, Paul wrote to a good friend of his, Timothy, and he said, Timothy, I want you to be aware that what I'm teaching people and what I'm teaching you will enable you to take hold of life that is truly life. It's not just living. It's not just existing that there's a quality about it where you feel fully alive. Now, if we're going to experience that, there's an issue way down at the core of our being that we have to actually get settled correctly. Because if we don't get that settled correctly, we will never experience fullness of life. We will never feel fully alive and what's worse, this would be like a good friend of mine who was climbing the corporate ladder before he found Jesus, and he got all the way to the top, and he said, Ron, I was climbing ladder, I got all the way to the top, and I found out it was leaning against the wrong wall. There was nothing up there for me. Yeah. This core issue is this issue of significance. It's this issue of fulfillment. It's this issue of personal identity. And people who study human behavior and people who study the human psyche will tell us that this need, this internally what we all want is from some place or somebody or something that we fully respect to get out their great big stamp and go, approved. And when we feel that, something happens inside. Now, our search for this drives us to do crazy things. I'm not negative on the human race. I'm just realistic. Are you ready? 
This search for significance and fulfillment and worth drives us to buy houses we can't afford. There's no place in the world where that might be more appropriate than right here. It, It drives us to buy cars and clothes that we can't really afford. It drives us to, t- to get on these, for some of us, to, to get on this adrenaline junkie highway where we will take absolutely stupid risks. And when you ask somebody, and no offense to anybody who's ever bungee jumped or jumped out of an, a perfectly good airplane or any of those other things, all right, no offense to any of you, but when I talk to people who, who just do these wild and crazy things. You know what they say to me? That's when I feel most alive. You know what they're actually saying? I'm trying to find that there. Now, we also do another little thing. Because... Life is sort of like a game to us in which we want to win. We subconsciously and even consciously go out and try to find people who are playing a game that we think we can win. And we subtly and intentionally avoid participating in games where we know we can't. Okay? I'm just going to be brutally honest about myself, okay? Take a good look at me. I am not tall, I am not dark, and I'm not very handsome, okay? I stay out of the male model super world because I will lose every time. We're all like that. We know stuff we're not good at. So you know what we do? We stay out of that stuff and we go look for people who are playing a game that we think we can win at. And then we do something even more, I don't know, crazy, insidious. Pretty soon we figure out that there's two parts to me. There's the actual substance part of me, and then there's the image part of me. Are you on board with me so far? And when we figure out from substance I'm losing, you know what I can do? I can always polish my image. Because in the end, people will think of me what my image is, not necessarily what my substance is. Now listen, there's not a person in this room that doesn't struggle with this. Am I right? Yeah. I can tell you, I've been a Christian for years, and this is probably the the single hardest thing I've ever had to struggle with. There's a reason why this teaching is called Centered, because when we get this right, It's supposed to be the center of our lives. It's what keeps us grounded and centered. And it's what makes us unshakable in this life. It's what gives us hope 
that no one can deter us from. It's what strengthens and empowers us to go through unbelievably tough times if we can stay centered on something that doesn't change. But it is so hard to stay on that center rail. We're going to talk about why that is. There's a very good reason for that. Now, it might surprise you that in all of human history, there have been only three different avenues that people have ever put forward to sort of answer this need, this need that is so deep within us that it's actually psychologists, sociologists, and people that study human behavior tell us that the need to feel fulfilled, to have an unshakable and worthy sense of identity and significance is as deeply planted in our human nature as the need for food and safety. That's pretty deep, isn't it? Way deep. Here are the three things. In the 70s, we tried this interesting experiment called I'm okay, you're okay. Anybody remember that, that movement? Oh, yeah. The deal was, I'm going to pretend that you're okay just as you are. Don't change a thing. You're beautiful and wonder, wonderful just as you are, and I'm okay. And if, and if I tell you you're okay, you tell me I'm okay, and we'll go through life believing we're super. It didn't take long before we realized that was just another form of denial. So then, there are only two others. And today we're going to read uh, an excerpt from this letter that Paul wrote to this church that he founded. And he's going to pull back the curtain and he's going to let us get the inside peek to his, his own personal wrath. Uh, struggle and wrestle with this idea of internal significance. So let's, let's go to the next uh, slide. And Paul begins to write, Finally, my dear friends, be glad that you belong to the Lord. It doesn't bother me to write the same things to you that I have written before. In fact, it is for your own good. I think he's telling them exactly what I told you. This is really hard to keep straight. So I'm going to write to you again and again and again for as long as you need it. He goes on to say this. Watch out for those people who behave like dogs. I'm sorry for all you dog lovers. That's kind of like an insult, isn't it? I'm not sure how Paul felt about dogs. But I do know this. What he was talking about there is one of the basic differences between dogs and humans. Dogs are not known for their deep insight and analytical acumen. Dogs behave out of instinct, out of their gut, however they feel. And Paul is saying there are people who never make it any far up farther up the intellectual ladder than that. They just go by their gut. And Paul says, they're evil and they want to do more than just circumcise you. Now listen, 
That could be a tough subject to talk about at church. Okay? I just want to say, Joel invited you to get baptized, not get circumcised. Aren't you glad you're a Christian? Much easier sell. Now, the early church began almost exclusively Jewish. And the identifying characteristic of every Jewish male was they were circumcised. And when Gentiles started to become Christians, the Jews said, uh, 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 before you get in the church, you got to go to the surgery room and get that taken care of. And Paul was saying, uh, no. No, that's destructive. God's not. That was, a, that was a sign that God had for days gone by. Not now. He goes on to say, but we are the ones who are truly circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that you belonged to God. And Paul said, no, nah, no, nah, it, it, it's not physical circumcision. We are the ones who are truly circumcised because we worship by the power of God's Spirit, and we place our confidence where? In Jesus Christ. Now, if we're ever going to get this issue settled, we have to understand that there's a connection between confidence in this life, between identity and fulfillment and significance. There's a direct connection between that and Jesus. He goes on to explain. We don't brag about what we have done and then Paul says, okay, although I could. And actually, Paul did in his past, big time. He went on to say, others may brag about themselves, but I have more reason to brag than anyone else. And then he goes on to list some stuff. Take a look at what he lists. He said, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Way to go, Paul. What a great choice you made. <laughs> he didn't make that choice. It was made for him. He goes on to say, I am from the nation of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. Way to go, Paul. Great choice, buddy. How'd you do that? He didn't have anything to do with that. But he was willing to take credit for it. He was willing to walk in that identity. Then he said, as a Pharisee, I strictly obeyed the law of Moses. That he really worked on. And I was so eager I even persecuted the church. I did everything the law demands in order to please God. This was his struggle. Now let's see. Paul turns a page in his life, and it's super significant. He goes on to describe this new page. But Christ has shown me that what I once thought was valuable is worthless. This is his way of saying, I climbed the ladder, and when I got to the top of the wall, what did I find? Nothing. Everything I thought I would find up there, it wasn't there. Christ showed me it was worthless. Nothing is as wonderful as knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have given up everything else, and I count it as what? Garbage. Yeah. Then he goes on to say what his real goal is. Take a look at this. All I want is Christ. And to know 
that I belong to him. We sang a song this morning. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am what? A child of God. Yeah. Paul said, that's what I want to know. That I belong to him. I could not make myself acceptable to God by obeying the law of Moses. God accepted me simply because of what? My faith in Christ. Notice how he ties this scripture off. All I want is to experience Christ and the power that raised him to life. I want to suffer and die as he... Whoa, wait a minute. I was really good till he got to that point. What's he talking about there? Listen. Paul knew that in order for him to experience fullness of life, something in his human nature had to die. And here's the truth of life, friends. You cannot live to this unless you're willing to die to this. Does that make sense to everybody? You can't live to something new until you're willing to die to the old you've been hanging on to. So Paul said, I want to suffer and die so that somehow I might also be raised to life. And Joel talked to you about being baptized. Baptism is a picture of us dying to our old life and being buried with Christ and then being raised to this new way of living, this new sense of identity, this new sense of worth. So I want to lay that out for us as quickly and as concisely as I can. You see, when it comes to your worth and significance and mind, there is the human way. And it's going to be represented by this first place ribbon. Because you and I have a tendency to live life in the game mode. Where there are winners and losers and some, someone is always keeping score. And the people with the most points win and the people with the fewest points lose. Does that make sense to everybody? And we all have different ways of keeping score but at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we are on the plus side. And, and what this does is it actually puts us in competition with everyone around us. And when we're ahead, we feel good. And when we fall behind, we beat ourselves up and we walk in shame. That's the human way. There's another way. It's the Jesus way. And you can see it shaped like a heart because a guy came to Jesus one day and said, Jesus, what are the greatest commandments? And many of you will remember, the first is you should what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And Jesus said, the second is, you should love your neighbor as yourself because everything that God asks of you 
is built on those two principles. So the Jesus way is a life of love. This is a game, winners and losers. Think of this as a hike. And the beautiful thing about going on a hike with Jesus is you get to take it with other people. And the beautiful thing about a hike is there's no prize for who gets to the top of the hike first. We all have had teenagers. No, not all of us, but many of us. Any of us who's, who's had a teenager knows that teenagers know how to take every hike and turn it into a contest, right? Come on, 55-year-old dad, race my 18-year-old body to the top. Oh, that's fair. What's the purpose of a hike? Listen, when we go on a hike in life with Jesus, there are fantastic vistas where we can stop and take in unspeakable and breathtaking beauty and wonder. And if we'll sit there long enough, two things will happen. The first is we will get the sense that we are part of something way bigger than just us. You've had that experience, right, on a hike? Where you look at a vista, it takes your breath away, and you realize there's a God far bigger than I am who created all of this, and it's amazing. And I am one tiny little human being, one of almost eight billion that walk on this planet. I'm part of something huge. There's a second thing that will happen if we stay there long enough. Something will begin to change inside us. And the Bible word for that is transformation. And what happens is we get less and less inclined to live in this mode and more and more inclined to live in this mode. And the beauty of a hike with Jesus is there's a vista. And if we sit, we experience that transformation and a shift takes place inside us. And we're ready to move on and we get up and we walk along the path with Jesus to the next vista and we sit at that vista and something else shifts inside us. And when, we, when, when we're satisfied with that, we get up and we move on to the next vista. And the beautiful thing is we get to say to our friends, hey, come over here. Take a look at this. This is fantastic. And when our friends come, they get a glimpse of what life with Jesus is like. And how different it is from the rat race of the rest of the world. And they might sit and they might experience that internal shift. And Jesus might begin to transform their life.
And as they get up to walk with us to the next vista, they walk over, they put their arm around us, and they say, I can't thank you enough for inviting me to come and sit with you. It's forever changed my life. So this is the way we were intended to live. How do we get like this? This actually sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound way better than this? Yeah, so how do we get this? Well, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, there's a story there. And it's the story of the first human beings, Adam and Eve. And without going into all the details of the story, as Adam and Eve were, as God created them, I want to read to you the very last thing that the Bible says about Adam and Eve in the way that God originally created them. It says, they felt no shame. There were no losers. Everyone was on a hike. Everyone was partnered up. No one lost. And then God said, okay, eat anything you want, but not anything off that tree. And Adam and Eve did a little random proto-shopping on the wrong tree. And they ate. And God said, you're going to hate what happens. I want to read to you the next statement in the Bible about Adam and Eve. Take a look. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt what? Shame. Why? Because now they were in competition with each other. And this very next thing Adam said about himself to God, I hid, I was afraid because I was what? Naked. He felt ashamed. And here's the truth. Life was no longer a journey where everyone enjoyed the trip. It was now a game, a competitive exercise where people were pitted against each other. God said to Adam, Dude, what's up? Do you remember what Adam said? She did it. You know what Adam was saying? There might be a loser here, but it's not me. It's her. Life was game from that's how we got so messed up. Now listen. I know there are churches that would teach that you and I are guilty of Adam's sin. I don't think the Bible teaches that, but here's what I know the Bible does teach. Even though you and I are not guilty of Adam's sin, we still have to live with the consequences of it. On that day, the world broke. And every human being that's come into the world since has come into the world somewhat broken. And so we are born with this natural tendency to be in the game mode. Take a couple of small children, put them in a room with toys, and what do they do? They will grab as many toys as they can and they will pronounce the one word that is victory in a two-year-old's world. Mine. I win. And you lose, sucker. Yeah. It's in us so deeply. Jesus had been with 12 guys 
for almost three years, teaching them this stuff. And take a look at the very end of his life, this story, because it is so us. Take a look. The mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. Don't you love this? She knelt respectfully. Like, oh, this is going to be something really holy. Here it is. What is your request? He asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons win over everybody else. That's literally what she was asking. Please let my two sons sit in the places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Yeah, Jesus, when it comes to keeping score, this mom wants her kids to win. Hmm. That's interesting. I'll bet the other 10 got it better. Huh? Not so quick. Take a look at what happened. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. You know why they were indignant? Because they didn't get there first. They're all thinking the same thing. Notice Jesus' response. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you, it will be different. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, listen, friends, if you're going to follow me, you got to set this down. You have to die to that so you can live to this. And notice how he describes this. He goes on to say this. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to what? Serve others. Now, see, here's the truth. The longer we stay in the game mode, the more our own identity and sense of worth gets called into question. But the longer we stay in the hike mode with Jesus, the more sure our identity becomes and the more significance and fulfillment we feel. So we all have a choice to make today. I'm going to lay out four principles. I'm just going to read them and give an invitation. Okay? And here are the four principles on the hike with Jesus that are so important for all of us to know. The first principle is this. We are all broken people who struggle with various forms of imperfect behavior. Doesn't that sound better than sin? I don't really struggle with sin. I just have some imperfect behavior. Nah, we're broken. We sin. The second principle is this. We all need, we all have a Savior, a difference maker, Someone who came to set it right, who has come to forgive and even redeem or transform us. The third principle is this. His spirit enables us to experience present, progressive, personal transformation. If I was really clever, I would have called it present, progressive, personal progress. The first song we sang, he's still working on me. In the hands of the master, he's still working on me. 
The next principle is this. We are liberated from competing with others and able to walk in love and partnership with them because they're no longer winners and losers based on score. We're in the journey together. Fifth principle, the way of life. This way of life gives us a sense of identity, significance, and fulfillment that we can't get anywhere else. That's why it's called fullness of life. That's why Jesus called it life to the full. That's why Paul called it life that is truly life. And last of all, his promise and power make our future resurrection possible. I want to read one scripture and then we'll go to a prayer in the band. A thousand years before Jesus walked the face of our earth, God said this to the psalmist, and he wrote it down. God said, be still and know that I am God. And the word for be still in the original language literally means to cease striving. Get out of the game and onto the hike. Quit keeping score and start walking with people. Quit centering your life on what you parked in the parking lot or what your zip code is or the latest adrenaline rush you got. In fact, turn off the scoreboard and just walk with him. And if you'll do that, and if I'll do that, if we'll quit that striving, we'll end up knowing that God is God. And we'll end up knowing that we were created to be his kids. I know that we're all in different places. Some of us have accepted Christ years ago, but somehow we lost our center. And we find ourselves this morning, unfortunately, all too often in this mode and all too infrequently in this mode. This would be a good morning to die to this and to ask God to rekindle this in our lives. Some of us maybe have never accepted Jesus, but we've tried to live this life. We've tried to be good. We've tried to help other people. We've tried to love whenever we can. We've tried to do all the right things, but there's something still missing in our hearts. And the truth is, it's Jesus. And until we accept Jesus, there will always be a hole in our heart. Listen, at the end of this service, I'm not going to be out there greeting all of you like I normally do. I'm going to stay right down here. And if you have never accepted Jesus, if you've never stepped over that line, if you've never said, you know what? 
I'm willing to get out of the game mode and I'm, I'm willing to follow Jesus. I just want you to come and tell me. I'll pray with you. We'll get you started right. If you got something on your chest that you need to get off and you want, you want me to pray with you about it, I'll be right down here. I'll pray with you. But my desire for every one of us is that we could leave this place with our heart centered where it needs to be. God, thank you. Thank you. That you are so clear with us and yet we really struggle. Would you call us to yourself today? Would you help us to set down the burden of the scoreboard that's always running, that drives us to do all these things? And would you help us just to pick up the wonderful presence that you bring and begin taking the hike with you. Because we are sure of this, that the answers to the cry of our heart are found in Christ alone. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.